for us to do. But I want you to picture the year 1930, true story. In 1930, Russia, the whole Soviet Union thing was beginning to bloom and prosper and try to take dominance over there in their region of the world. And there was a man that was a good friend of Lenin. His name was Nikolay Bukharin. I personally didn't know the name. But Nikolay Bukharin was a tremendous economist, and he was the editor-in-chief of Pravda. Have you heard that name, Pravda? It's the state newspaper in Russia. And he was an avowed atheist. He was invited to come to Kiev, which at that time was not Ukraine, but um, was part of the Soviet bloc and all that they were trying to develop. And he was to speak on the topic of atheism, the answer. And he got up, and he was a very dominant guy, very loud, bold. And he ranted and raged for an hour and a half, giving every kind of insult, negative thing um, that he could think of against Christianity and for atheism. He got done and he felt very good about himself, true story. And he said, I think it would be good if we take any questions. And he looked around with those glaring eyes. You can imagine there were thousands in the crowd. He looked around and said, anybody have any questions? It was silent. If somebody has a question, step up to the microphone. Dead silence. Until, from about the middle of the seated area, a man stood up. He walked to the microphone. He looked up at Nicolay. He looked out at the crowd and he said, He is risen. And the crowd yelled back, He is risen indeed. Can you imagine? Didn't take any nerve or any courage for us to do that this morning. Can you imagine what it took? I don't even know the man's name. I couldn't find it recorded anywhere. But that is why we are here today. And that's why we celebrate really every day and every Lord's Day the truth of the resurrection. Are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me? I've already mentioned to you that we want to look at five aspects from this chapter that I think are terribly significant for you and I this morning. The first of which is proof. And and there's so much to be said here. As you know, if you're in our church, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. And we're only on the first couple of chapters, but I decided to skip forward because it is this Easter Resurrection Sunday. But the first thing I want you to see is the proof of the resurrection. And you noticed it in the reading that I did earlier, beginning in verse 5, it says, And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, that's a half-brother to Jesus, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. I want to just focus on one of those witnesses this morning. There's much that could be said here, a whole message probably brought out. But did you notice the first name mentioned? 
Cephas. Well, how else do we know that name? Peter. Peter, right? Peter and Cephas. <clears throat> um, and I thought to myself, wow. One of the first witnesses that Jesus in his resurrected body saw on planet Earth was Cephas. And then I got to thinking about Cephas. Three days earlier, Cephas stood with Jesus and the crowd was yelling all kinds of hateful things toward Jesus. Crucify him, crucify him. And you remember, just before that, Christ had said to his disciples, you know what, I'm going to experience great uh, happenings in Jerusalem. They are going to crucify me. And he predicted, and he said, and you'll deny me. Remember what Peter said? Lord, I will never deny you. To what Jesus said, remember? Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And you remember the pressure was mounting. The crowd was getting more hateful. The crosses were being prepared. All the brutality of the Roman government was about to be executed on Jesus and these two malefactors on either side. And a little lady came up to Peter in the crowd. Can you imagine? Not some big Roman burly guard, a lady. They call her a maid in there. We're not looking at that account. The maid came up and said something like this. Weren't you with Jesus Haven't I seen you being a follower of Jesus? Peter said, not me. No way. Can you imagine how he began to feel right then? But it didn't happen once. It happened three times. And you remember on the historical factual account, when they were at the point of crucifying Jesus, Jesus' eyes met Peter's eyes. That would have been the last thing that Peter would have remembered about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crucified. They took him off the cross. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. And he arises three days later. Two ladies done everything they could. To prevent, because they heard that somebody might come and take his body away. They guarded that place with absolute um, guards of the Roman Empire. And they were serious as a heart attack about what they did. And they, they did everything they could. But when they got there, the two ladies, the stone was rolled away. And you remember what Martha and Mary did? They ran back where the disciples were. And they said, guys, you won't believe it. The tomb, it's empty. There's no one there. Jesus is gone. One account says Peter ran to the sepulcher. Ran to the sepulcher. Jesus wasn't there. But what Paul is giving us here is a tremendous proof of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for every one of us. Do you find it significant? 
that the Lord Jesus would first go and talk to Peter? What kind of days do you think Peter had between the crucifixion and when Jesus met him here that Paul's given account of? Anybody here ever feel guilty about something? You know? Man, I can relate to that problem. And I'm sure Peter had such unbelievable guilt in his heart and in his head for what he had done. And he saw Jesus crucified. He saw the crowd and their hateful jeers and mocking and spitting and everything that's recorded in the Bible that they did to Jesus Christ. And yet here in this list of proofs about Jesus' resurrection, we find the first one that he goes to is to Peter. Wow, what a testimony of love. You know what that says to me? That says, no matter how much we've messed up in life, we're all sinners, right? That's why we need the gospel. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Because of that sin, you and I, you and I need to deal with our guilt. We need to deal with the sin that so easily besets us. And here's Peter experiencing all of that, all that had to be going on in the city of Jerusalem at that time. Can you imagine? Picture yourself in Peter's place. What do you think he thought when he recognized him, Jesus walks up in a resurrected, glorified body? See the nail prints? See the the thorn marks in this head? And Jesus is looking at him. He's alive and well. And you know what? Could I remind you that just days later, Jesus was eating with the disciples, ministering to them, being a great blessing. And I want to encourage all of us today. I don't know your situation, but you may be here and you may be under a load of guilt because of your sin. I want you to know the Lord Jesus loves you. That's why he died. That's why God sent his only begotten son. Because of his love for us. The proof of the resurrection is listed here in the text. There's many more that we could talk about. But I would like to not only talk about the proof of the resurrection. I'd like to to talk about the priority or the importance of the resurrection. Look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 15. Again, we're going to skip along here. Notice, um, it says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? We've been talking as we've gone through 1 Corinthians that In the early chapters, in the early chapters, Paul is having to deal with a series of problems that the Corinthians have. And you remember, folks that have been here, that the first part of the book, he looks at the division, the divisiveness that has set up in 
the Corinthian church. And you remember why that division was there? Pride. Pride. They were taking Paul. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And they were all taking sides and lifting up. And even though all those men were proclaiming the same gospel. But here we get to almost the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. And now the problem is doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. What a horrific blight against the Corinthian church. Now notice with me, beginning in verse 14, Paul lays out a wonderful list prioritizing why the resurrection is such a blessing. In fact, I wrote this down. Have you ever talked to someone and they don't believe what you say? Have you ever trusted in something that they, somebody would come through and do something for you and they failed to be faithful? You ever have any experiences like that? Have you ever had somebody say that you're lying to them? You're not telling the truth. These are the things that Paul addresses. Look with me, if you will, beginning in verse 14. I'm in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Do you realize what Paul is saying? He's taking the negative approach here, and he's saying, if Christ isn't risen, everything we're doing, everything in this church that we're talking about and proclaiming is vain. What's vain mean? Empty, worthless. But I like to put it in the positive vernacular. Because Christ is risen this morning, church, preaching is full, meaningful, valuable, significant, and life-changing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can they hear without a preacher? Our preaching is not in vain. Why? Because the resurrection... Because the resurrection is the capstone of the gospel story. Virgin born, God man. Crucified Savior. Risen again. There's the gospel story. And because of that, you and I don't have to worry. Does that mean everybody's going to love the preaching of the cross? Not a bit. That's not what Paul is saying. But he's saying it's not in vain. Keep speaking The word. Talk to Frank McBrayer and Stephanie right back there. They were on their way down to Butler, Missouri, where Frank's mom is dying. We talked about Frank's mom's salvation. I had forgotten some of the information. You know what I heard? Kids, listen up. Listen carefully. Frank and Stephanie have two daughters. Sarah and Melissa. And when they were little, I didn't get the exact age, but when they were fairly little, every time they would see Grandma, they would say, Grandma, are you saved? Are you saved? And they would go through um, and just kindly, lovingly 
ask grandma about her salvation. Maybe some of you are in that spot. Somebody's been asking you about your eternal destiny. What will happen to you when you die? And they told me that these little girls, Sarah and Melissa, would sometimes have tears. As grandma wouldn't necessarily respond in in an affirmative way. She really wasn't a believer. But you know what happened? Those grandkids so ministered in their sweet little way the gospel that Frank's mother came to Frank and Stephanie and asked them, how can I be saved? And they were able to lead her to the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we're all preachers. You say, I'm not ordained. That's not what I'm talking about. We're all proclaimers of truth, are we not? Every one of us are part of the Great Commission. Don't give up giving people the truth. Don't give up sharing your testimony of salvation. By the way, Paul says there in the first part of of chapter 1, For I delivered unto you that which I also received. Who's the you there? The you there is the whole church of Corinth. And really, you know who the you is? Eagle Heights Baptist Church. We're all proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because we're here today. You ought to hear some of our stories. Some of us were pretty bad and ugly as lost people. And yet, what can happen when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new in Christ Jesus. Priority. Your preaching is not vain. Your faith isn't vain. In fact, your faith is well-founded. Christ is 100% guaranteed he will do what he says in his word. Everything already has been proof of that. And there's more to come. There's more to come. The key to faith is not your faith. The key to faith is the object of your faith. Is your faith this morning founded in Jesus Christ? We're not talking about a religion here. We're not talking about denominational titles. We are talking about trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. Putting our faith in Him. That means we're talking about a relationship. Not a religion. Did you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today? I hope that you do. He noticed what he says in verse 17. Verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Aren't you glad this morning, church, that if you've trusted Christ as Savior, your sins are under the blood? They're covered. Jesus Christ died for your sin and my sin. We're still sinners. But we know this, if we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. The priority of the resurrection. You notice in verse 15, it talks about there, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Aren't you glad we can tell the truth? 
By the way, I always wondered what that word pravda meant. You know what that word pravda, that's a Russian word. You know what it means in English? Truth. And you think you've got a problem reading the paper, wondering what's real and what's truthful and what's not. Can you imagine having a newspaper in Russia where the title of it's truth and it just spills out lies upon lies upon lies? God is not dead. He is alive and well. And he's here to save even today. There's so much that can be said here. Um, Look at verse 18 and 19. Um, It says, Then, uh, let's see, let me go 17 first. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. He repeats that several times. You're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Do you realize what's being said there? They were sitting and saying, there's no resurrection. All my dead relatives that said they trusted Christ, live for him, they're just going to, they're dead. There's nothing more. That's why the world's philosophy is what? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we, tomorrow we die. Not in Christ Jesus. I want to remind you, this Bible makes it clear, and it's not our focus this morning, but every human being will experience a resurrection. A resurrection to hell or a resurrection to heaven. You say, that's pretty harsh and unkind. That's what the Bible says. You don't have to experience hell. You can trust Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, I love this, thou shalt be saved. Praise God. Praise God. Christ is our only hope. We're not going to be pitied. I tell you what, folks, I'm grateful that as a teenager, I put my faith and trust in Christ and didn't have to experience Years and years and years of sinful living. And you know what? I don't look back and say, man, I wish I could have got involved in some of that sin before I got saved. I say, praise God. Praise God for the privilege we have. We are the ones that ought to be envied. We're not pitied. We're envied. What does sin do? It enslaves, it binds, and it destroys That's exactly what it does. But I want you to notice that the, go down to verse 20. I read this. This is where we get to the path and the person. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man, Adam meaning, came death, by man also, or came also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward with, uh, they that are Christ at his coming. The path is simply this. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, none of us have any hope. 
No hope at all. But because Christ did rise from the dead, every one of us has hope. And when the grave calls us, immediately our soul and our spirit go to be with the Lord. That's just the body. That's just the shell there. I heard an illustration about, they're not exactly my favorite insects, but those little locusts. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen them in the summer after they break free from their shell? And you pick them up, it's like picking up nothing, isn't it? And you squish it, and what happens? There's nothing but air in there. Now that may be not the best comparison in the world, but that's really all our body is. Our body is, but God has promised a glorified body. You remember what happened when Jesus came back after the resurrection? He didn't come to the door and say, could somebody please open the door? I can't get in. He walked right through. So I can't tell you all there is to tell you about a resurrected body. But I can tell you this. It'll be glorious. There won't be any cancer. There won't be any pain and suffering. There won't be any sorrow. Revelation makes it very, very clear. Well, for sake of time, I want to go down and I want us to um, look at the end of the chapter. Could we do that this morning? Thank you for your good listening. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead in The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, meaning our human body, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. You hear this at every funeral. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, Where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. The resurrected Christ is the very basis for our victory and power. Notice the last verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know this chapter? It's about the proof, the priority, the path, the person, and the power of a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel story, the capstone of the whole thing. I was asked if the children should be in our service today. And I said, yes. I have a privilege to speak to children pretty often. And um, I heard a true story that I'd like to finish with this morning. It's about a young boy. He's eight years old. Do we have any eight-year-olds in here? There's one. I'm looking here. Two. Any other eight-year-olds? Okay, a couple of you. Well, all children could relate, I think, to this story. This little boy's name is Philip. And Philip was born with Down's syndrome. Have any of you ever had 
known somebody that had Down syndrome? Okay, good many of you have. And Philip was like all children with Down syndrome. He desperately wanted to be normal and he wanted to be accepted. His parents took him to church. And the kids struggled with Philip. As you know, Down syndrome children can have some unusual traits and things that they do. And um, it was just a struggle year after year. And the Sunday school teacher came up with an idea. And that's why I have these. I'm not promoting Easter eggs. I've never understood how Easter and bunnies got together. And and I'm more confused how bunnies who don't lay eggs, how that all came about. But um, my, my point is simply this. Here's what the, the Sunday school teacher did. The Sunday school teacher um, basically um, had a series of these little legs. And on the Sunday before Easter, she said to the class, which included Philip, I want you to take your little leg and I want you to go home and this week, I want you to put something in the egg that speaks about Easter and the resurrection. So all the kids come back with their little little egg the next Sunday. And um, the teacher collected them. There were no names on the eggs. And she would open them up. And um, I apologize for my first illustration, but many of them had a little flower in there. Now, I know a dandelion is not a flower, but the only colorful thing I could find this morning. Um, And several of them had little flowers in them. And and the kids would say, yeah, that's mine. That's mine. I love the color uh, of Easter time and springtime and new life and all those kind of things. And all the kids were excited. You know, they could relate. It made really good sense. Then she, and I'm just picking three here that were noted. She got one like this. Can you hear She opens this one up, and inside, the rock. And the kids are all going, a rock? What's that got to do with anything? And a little boy raised his hand and said, I brought that one. He said, I wasn't sure what to put there, but I just wanted to be different. So I put a rock in there. There are a lot of people that want to just be different. You know what I'm saying? So she's going through all these eggs. There was a bunch of them. I just have three of them up here. But toward the end, she had one like this. Looked like all the other different color. And she opened it up. There was nothing inside. And the kids said, oh, somebody didn't follow the rules. Somebody didn't do a good job with the With the egg, Philip stood up and said, that's mine. That's mine. They all looked at Philip. Philip said this, isn't Easter about Jesus rising from the grave? And I picture that little egg like that borrowed tomb. And it's empty. There's nothing there. You know what happened? Philip became a friend 
to those kids because of that little thing. But as the tragedy of Down syndrome goes, he died just a few years later. And a good many of those kids, even the little boy that brought a a rock in his egg, came to the funeral. They all had an egg. He didn't have anything in it. All of them were empty. And they laid them on that little coffin where Philip lay. But can I tell you something? That was only Philip's body. Because the promise of 1 Corinthians is what? If Christ be risen, we have hope because we can will rise again. The greatest enemy that every one of us faces is what? Death. Death is going to happen. It's not a very great topic to talk about, but it's real, isn't it? It's real for all of us. Glenn Booth texted me yesterday. He wasn't able to come to outreach because one of his co-workers, that first student, had a 12-year-old son who had an enlarged heart who died last week. 12 years of age. We're all going to die. Jesus came that you and I could have eternal life. That we could be forgiven of our sin. And that we could have a hope and a certainty that whenever we die, we will go to be with the Lord Jesus forever. What's your condition today? Choir, I'm going to dismiss you right now. I think you're going out that way. Choir is going to finish us up on a, um, a song to wrap up our Easter Sunday this morning. But I wonder about you. Do you recognize an empty tomb? Or is your Easter filled with pretty flowers that a bunch of them put in there? Or maybe you're like the little boy in the class. I couldn't think of anything, so I just came up with something different. There isn't anything different. This is the only truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here's the question. The choir is going to be singing in just a minute. What will you do with Jesus? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning? I'm not talking about joining church. I'm not talking about um, anything other than do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Has there been a time that you understood that gospel account? Paul gave it right there in the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how the Christ died, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. That is what you have to receive by faith. You don't work for it. Someone said wisely, Christianity is not do, do, do. It's Christ has done it all. He's accomplished everything for you and I.
And what he says to us is, where will you put your faith? Where will you put your trust? I hope it's in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?